Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. I'm going to be sharing scripture from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Hebrews 6, 17 through 19. We had a tremendous online service today. If you've ever listened online, um, it's a different kind of a service. We do some different things, but the preaching is always very serious. Uh, it's the same message, just a little bit shorter. But I sensed as I was preaching today online that God was really moving in people's hearts and in lives. And I know that He was because of how people were responding. And I believe that God is going to touch hearts and lives today. Uh, that he has, you're here for a reason. And not just because it's Easter or whatever the date is or the time is. But God has a purpose and a plan for your life and for your reason for being here today. Hebrews 6, 17 through 19 says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. I love that, that we've fled to him, we've run to him for refuge. I have run to him, I ran to him to be saved, and I run to him daily because I so desperately need him in my life and find refuge in him. And those that have fled to him have great confidence to hold on to the hope that lies before us. Hope is always before us. Hope is always about an expectation of a, of a good future. Okay? This hope then, this expectation of a brighter future, this hope then is a trustworthy anchor to our souls. When we face the storms of life, we need something beyond this world, something beyond uh, material, something beyond matter that we can anchor our souls to. Now, we can anchor our bodies to something temporal, and that would help through a storm. But the spiritual storms that we face, we can only be anchored spiritually, and only Jesus can work in that area in our lives. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor, anchor for our souls. I'm just going to warn you at the beginning of this, I'm going to talk about death uh, a little bit, but the reason I'm doing that is because I want to paint a dark picture so that Jesus shines brighter. Okay? I want to paint a dark picture so that Jesus shines brighter. And over these past couple of years, there have been a lot of talk about death. Then we experienced a worldwide pandemic that killed so many people. Now, I know some of you are going to look at these statistics and you're going to ask yourself, well, was that because of COVID or was, be, was that because of something else? Can I, can I take you past that and just ask you for just a moment to be compassionate toward those that, someone, that, that lost someone during the pandemic? To that mother that lost a son, does it really matter what the ultimate cause was? To that wife that lost a husband, does it, does it really matter what the ultimate cause was? I think that we as Christians need to be the most compassionate people and not the most critical people on earth. So in Gloucester County alone, 958 people died due to COVID. In New Jersey, 
33,000, that's half of the population of Vineland, 33,308 people died. In the United States, 985,504 people died during the pandemic, and globally, it was 6 million people died. 6,178,000, too many lives, too many families, and too much death. Again, I know some of you have differences of, of opinion as it relates to COVID, but all of us can certainly find compassion for those that have suffered loss. I did multiple funerals during the pandemic, not all directly related to COVID, but people were still passing on. And I think, I don't want to categorize saddest, but the one that maybe had the biggest impact on me was a graveside with four people. And it was only the daughter and son and their spouses that were allowed there. They weren't allowed to sit close together. We all wore masks even though we were outside and I stayed away from them. And I so desperately just wanted to give them a hug and say that it's going to be okay. But death is a terrible, terrible thing. It's the worst. It's the worst. Those that have lost people during the pandemic, many were not able to mourn properly. I know of many people whose family member or close friend passed away and they weren't able to even see them one last time because they weren't allowed in the hospitals. I know of those that were in nursing homes that they couldn't understand why no one was visiting them. This was a terrible time of, of tragedy, tragedy in which people need compassion. Death is very real. As most of you know, death became very real to my family. My oldest brother passed away in January. He had uh, con uh, contracted, yeah, contracted COVID. And he thought it was just, he knew it was COVID, but thought he would be fine and, and get through it as, as so many have. But it got to the point where he could no longer breathe and they called the ambulance and basically by the time they got him to the hospital, it was too late. But they took him in on a Monday, and by Tuesday he had passed, not 24 hours later. When they had, did, when they had done the x-rays of his lungs, the nurse came out to my sister-in-law and said, was he a heavy smoker, like a chain smoker? And the answer was no, he never smoked in his life, but his lungs were so black, uh, profession and cars and whatever the reason was. And then COVID amplified that. And he passed away. COVID uh, took so many lives. Obviously, death takes so many lives. But what I, what I want to see here is beyond what the cause is. And whatever, when I, when I preached my brother's memorial service, I, I said this. I said, you know, we're not going to focus on his death. We're going to focus on his life. Because it doesn't matter how he died. It mattered how he lived while he was here. But even at that memorial service, we knew that he was in heaven. We knew that he was healed. But however you want to slice it, a mother lost her son. A wife lost her husband. And they're mourning even today. Now, I received a, a text from my sister-in-law in Nashville. And she wrote that he is risen. And we get that. And we know Tom is with Jesus. And we know that many that you have lost in, at whatever stage of life we know that they're in heaven and with Jesus, but it doesn't make the pain and hurt any less here on this side. A mother lost her son, a wife lost her husband, a son who lost a father, 
a grandson who lost a grandfather, a brother who lost a brother, a best friend who lost a best friend. This is my story and you have yours. Death is awful. And again, why am I painting such a, a depressing picture on Easter? And here's the simple reason this terrible picture of death points to the triumphant Savior that gives us life. This terrible portrait of death gives us a clearer picture and points us to the triumphant Savior who gives life. Jesus is life. That's why the tomb could never hold him. Now, I want to talk to you this morning briefly about three ways that Jesus gives life. First of all, he gives new life. He gives new life. And I love this scripture. It's a familiar one. I'm taking it from the New Living Translation. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. I love this word here that, that is new. This is the idea of a new nature, of a, of a excuse me, a new person. Now, when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, your outward appearance doesn't change. If you were involved in bad things, over time your outward appearance will change. But what changes instantaneously is your spirit. That which is eternal is completely changed. It's better than the old. This new life that He gives is better than the old. One person said this, Christians are not reformed, rehabilitated, or re-educated. They are recreated. That's what it means. That's what new life means. At conversion, believers are not merely turning over a new leaf. They're beginning a new life under a new master. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians tells us. But now, we're new. The old has passed and the new has come. What changes in us? Well, we have a new attitude towards God uh, and others. One attitude towards God can be, well, on that day when I see God, I can save myself. If I just do enough good things, then I can save myself. Uh, one of the old attitudes that changes is that I just have to look out for myself. No one else is looking out for me. Can I tell you that if you're a believer, you have someone looking out for you. And he's much greater than, than you are. Our, act, our attitudes toward God changes. We recognize we can't save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. We recognize that we don't have to only look out for ourselves. But when we put God first, He takes care of us. And then we can look out for others as well. God is first in our new actions. Not only a new attitude toward God, but new actions because of God and others. We put God first in our lives. That I want to act uh, according to His will and His ways. I begin to think when I make decisions, what does God think about this? What would God want me to do? That's a sign of a new life. The old life says, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and, and I'm the master of my own fate or whatever, the captain of my own soul. That is depressing. Because I've made some horrendous decisions on my own. Please, Lord, don't let me be the captain of my own soul. Please, God, don't let me steer the ship. Please, God, just let me ride on it as you steer it. Please, if you want to lead your own life, wow, I don't. I want to follow God. 
I want to follow God. I learned through a new attitude that I have a new, new actions toward others. I begin to treat others like I want to be treated. We call it the golden rule. I love others not for what they can do for me, but because they're created in the very image of God. That transforms love into a new area, and only new people, new creations can love people for who God created them to be. Without that new start, we only look to people for what they can do for us. What can I get from them that will benefit me? Now, this new life that he gives us with new attitudes and new actions, we begin to think, wow, how can I help someone else? How can I be a blessing to someone else? How can I share the life that God has given me? 2 Corinthians 5.18, the next verse says, And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of rep- reconciling people to himself. This new and better life that he gives is a gift. It can't be earned. It can only be received. This is what Christianity is all about. We cannot earn it. We receive it. We receive it through the risen Christ. And we can have new life. And new life is available to us. Why? Because Jesus is alive. If he stayed in the tomb, then this is all nonsense. You got dressed up for no reason. But since he is risen from the dead, he offers you a new life. Second, he offers us an abundant life. An abundant life. John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I don't know what, yeah. If, If this was a red letter Bible, maybe I should have put the words in red. This is Jesus himself speaking. Okay? This is Jesus himself speaking. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Obviously here the thief is the, the devil, the enemy, and he wants what's worst for you, and Jesus wants what's best for you. I'm going to break it down for you very simply. The devil is bad, and Jesus is good. And so when bad things happen... It's because the devil is bad. And the strength that you get to make it through those bad times is because Jesus is good. Don't get it mixed up. People mess up their eternity because they get that simple fact messed up. That's four years of Bible school. That's 35 years of active ministry. The devil is bad and Jesus is good. But if you get that down, you're going to be all right. Jesus wants to offer you an abundant life. He's the shepherd and the leader of your life. First is new life. If you don't have new life in Christ, you're your own shepherd. Okay? And we're going to say that also is is probably bad. And you, you might be able to navigate this life well because of your gifting, but you won't have, well, the third point, eternal life by getting there on your own. See, you can navigate this life. People can be very successful in the United States and on this planet because of their gifting and drive, but none of that will get you to heaven. See, and what we're talking about is the next life. But even here on earth, he's the shepherd. And I want to read to you Psalm 23 from a paraphrase called The Message because this is the abundant life that God wants to give you. If you think that abundant life is about finances, then you've missed it. See, abundant life is about faith. That's what it's about. It's not that God doesn't care about our finances because he wants to meet our needs. He wants to bless us so that we can bless others. 
But the reality is none of the finances that we accumulate on earth are going with us into heaven. I've done hundreds of funerals. Not one person has ever taken anything with them. And that's a fact. That's a fact. There are thoughtful things that are left in the coffin, and I get that, and I get that. That's for the people left behind. See? So this abundant life is not about finances. It's about faith. Watch this paraphrase here. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. That's an abundant life. And it doesn't mean I have all the money to buy whatever I want. It means that I've come to a place in my life that I have everything I need. I have everything I need. Everything that's truly important to me, I have. And God has provided. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. Can I tell you one of the side effects of COVID is debilitating anxiety and stress. Because crisis does two things. It pushes us faster in the direction we were already headed. So we would say crisis accelerates. Okay? It accelerates where we were already headed. So if you had difficulties with fear and all of this, when COVID hit, it, 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 it just sent it there faster. Okay? And the other thing that crisis does is it amplifies. It amplifies what was already there. If there were cracks already there, then crisis emphasizes and amplifies those uh, cracks. People are stressed. They're overburdened. They're overworked. They're over everything. In fact, some people just say, I'm, I'm, it's over. That's not the abundant life God has for you. He has something better for you than just being stressed about every area of your life. He has something better for you than just being overworked and overwhelmed by everything that's happened in your life. God has something better for you. It's called an abundant life. Can you just picture this with me, that you're, you're a sheep? And let's even picture ourselves in a field. Let me put it this way. Have you ever watched a show where somebody is just, just doesn't seem to have a care in the world? And they're just kind of laying down in the, in the field and the, the sun is shining and, and the, the, the flowers and things, you can just see it waving a little bit. Have you ever thought to yourself, wow, I would love to find that place? You know why? Because you need rest in your life and you haven't been able to find it on your own. Because we're compelled to accomplish. And sometimes we're so driven to accomplish and accumulate that we lose the very things that are most important like peace and rest that's what God wants to give you he bedded me down in lush, lush meadows he finds me quiet pools to drink from real quickly he's talking about sheep sheep won't go to running water because if they dip their head in and their wool gets wet it's very easy for them to be carried down and die. And so the sheep want to drink from calm waters. Don't, don't you want a life that's, that's, that's calm and at ease? Well, pastor, how is that possible? Because life is all over the place and so crazy. Well, listen, storms can happen and you can still have peace. Life around you can be all over the place, but you can still have peace because we have a good shepherd. You see, 
an abundant life. True to your word, verse 3, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. When was the last time you were able to sit down and just take a deep breath? That's what God wants to give you. Maybe you don't need to worry so much. Maybe you need to worship more. Maybe you need to stop looking at everything that's going on on the outside and begin to evaluate what's going on on the inside. Maybe, maybe what you really need is a, is a deep breath. Maybe you don't have to care so much about what other people think of you. Maybe you don't have to compare yourself so much to what other people are doing. And you just take a deep breath and say, you know what, I don't understand everything, but I know someone that does. And I'm going to leave what I can't control in his hands. He's the shepherd. He's the guide. He has a better life for me than a stress-filled, anxiety-filled, worrisome, troubling life. He's got something so much better for you. You send me in the right direction. You let me catch my breath. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. God, if you'll be with me. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. There's not a lock in the world that can make you feel secure if you're not secure. Right? You could be behind a vault, a bank vault, and the enemy can still get to you. But you can stand in the middle of the field and know that God is with you. And you can feel secure in his arms and in his presence because he's walking with you. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You are, I won't say lucky, but you're fortunate. I don't have time to describe a six-course meal to you. But it will involve hot Italian bread that just came out of the oven and butter that spreads on it, not frozen butter. You cannot take warm Italian bread and try to spread frozen butter. It destroys everything. What you can do is if you get a little pad, I don't know if they still do the pads of things, you take that warm bread and if it's a night, they, 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 they put a wrap over it like this, put the butter in there in the roll and it'll melt it for you. Can you smell it? Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Then salad. Well, anyway, I'm not going to get to that. I'm sorry, I got, got distracted here for a minute. But what does he do? He serves a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You, revi you revive my drooping head, and my cup brims with blessing. I've seen people, they live their life like this. And they trudge around life from one thing to the next. I can assure you that this risen Savior has a better life for you. He has a new life and he has an abundant life. Verse eight, uh, 6, your beauty and your love chase after me every day. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. That's an abundant life. And we can have that abundant life because Jesus is alive. Number three, we can have eternal life. John 3.16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that who, everyone or whoever 
Everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting Everlasting or eternal life. He's got new life for you. He doesn't just make you better. He makes you all new. He's got abundant life for you where he becomes the shepherd of your life and he provides for everything that you need. And we have to look forward to eternal life. Eternal life where there is no more death. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. John, at the end of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he writes down all this stuff that he didn't understand, but he knew it was magnificent and awesome. And he says this, even so, Lord Jesus, come. I'm ready for eternal life, and here's what my goal is. I want you to be ready for eternal life. And the only way you will experience eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord, because he's the only one that died for your sins and rose again on the third day. There's no other philosopher, there's no other philosophy where God comes down, takes our place, pays for our sins, goes in the grave, and rises again on the third day. Every other philosophy, every other religion says, you have to do something to get to God. Christianity says, you can't, so God has come down to you, and he's alive and well. And then he went back to heaven, where he's preparing a place for us, and he's coming back again. We will all stand before God someday. It's as simple as that. We will stand before him at death. When we pass from this life into the next life, you understand that all people will live forever. All of you here today, all of you that are listening wherever and whenever, you will all live forever. The difference is where will you spend eternity? Will you spend eternity in heaven or will you spend eternity in hell? Will you spend eternity in God's presence or will you spend eternity in a place that's void of his presence? Will earth be the only heaven you experience? Or will earth be the only hell you experience? See, for believers, earth is the only hell we will ever experience. And sometimes it is hell. For those that reject Jesus Christ, earth is the only heaven they will know. And if you looked around lately, it ain't so great. And it's only going to get worse. If you were to stand before Christ and he were to say, why should I allow you into heaven? If your answer is, well, I've been good, you know, I've never killed anyone, I try to help other people, those are the complete wrong answers. Because you're not good. Don't make me go person to person, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're not good. Because the standard is Christ. Are, are you even willing that whatever spiritual stage of life you're at, are you willing to say, I'm as good as Christ? Even people that aren't believers wouldn't say that. And so good is based not on our standard or our neighbor's standard. Well, I'm a lot better than my neighbor. It's not based on that standard. It's based on God's standard, which is perfection. How you doing there? That's why the Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. There are none that are good. That's why the Bible says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're going to stand before Almighty God... And say, I should go to heaven for eternity because I'm good? You missed it. Here's the answer. I'm heaven bound because I believe Jesus is the only Savior. Pause. There are not many ways to get to God. There's one way to get to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. There are not many ways to get to God. There's one way. 
And it's through Jesus Christ. And why through him? Because he's the only one that died for your sins and rose again on the third day and still lives today, which Pentecost proves. Which you sitting here proves. 2,000 years later, the church is alive and well and reaching more people than ever. I don't mean just this church, although we are. I mean the church of Jesus Christ. That's why in 2,000 years, billions of people have gathered on this day to give glory to him. The, the, the answer is, I'm heaven bound because I believe Jesus is the only Savior. He's the one who died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day. I know that it wasn't my works that brought me here, but it was the work of Jesus Christ. That's the right answer. And God says, welcome. You're my child. I've been waiting for you. Look at all that I have prepared for you. But someday we'll all stand before him in death. But another way we'll stand before him is if Jesus should return before we die. When is Jesus coming back? We don't know, right? And if you do think you know, see Pastor Joe after the service. He'll help you through that. But nobody knows. But whenever he comes, it'll be right. Do you have enough faith to believe that? Whenever Jesus comes, that's the right time to come. Now, we want him to come now, but he is coming back again someday. And so you'll either die and stand before him, or he'll come and you'll stand before him. But either way, we have to have received him as Lord and Savior. But we know that he is coming back again. Now, lastly, I want to share this thought with you. I read this this week and had never read it before and loved it, and that's why I want to share it with you. It says that when they went to the tomb, and I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. They went to the tomb, and, and, uh, and, and the grave clothes were set to the side, but the napkin that was over his face was folded. Okay, let me show you this. This is in John chapter 20. Early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. And I don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple ran to the tomb to see. The other disciple, which was John, who was younger, outran Peter and got there first. But like his personality, he stooped and he looked in. And he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. But Peter, on the other hand, if you know anything about him, he ran. He got there huffing and puffing. Okay? Does anybody uh, see that? He got there huffing and puffing, but he ran right in. When Simon Peter arrived, he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying to the side. Now, is that important? It, it absolutely is important. And the only way to understand the importance of that cloth being folded is by understanding what was going on in the first century Jewish home. When it was time for the large meal, the servant would set the table according to the master's uh, will. And so however he wanted the table set and whatever he wanted, the servant would take care of all of that. And the servant would stand off and wait till the master was done eating. So if the master took the napkin and got up from his plate, from his setting, and he just folded it up 
he did this and wiped his hands, and he set it down on the table like that, the servant knew that he was done and that he could come and he could take care of everything. Take care of the table. The master was done eating. But if the master got up and he folded the napkin... The servant knew, don't touch anything because the master's coming back. They went in and the grave clothes were pushed to the side because that part of the work was done. But the napkin over his face was folded because Jesus is coming back again. Because he's alive and well. And he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for his people. The napkin was folded and he was symbolizing by saying, yeah, this part of the work is done, but I'm not done yet. I'm coming back again. And while you're waiting, worship. While you're waiting, work and serve the kingdom of God. Because I've got something better than this world for you. I've got new life. Not a better you, but a new you. I've got abundant life because you're my child. And you don't have to live like this and overwhelmed by everything in life anymore. You can worship and understand that God is in control. And you can trust him in the darkest times. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with me. That's an abundant life that he has. And we can look forward to, at the end of times, an eternal life. And what did we say at the very beginning? This truth is the hope that we have. I preached my brother's memorial service. It got a little bit emotional, but not overwhelming. And one of the things that we shared at the end was, this is for now, but it's not forever. Someday I'll see my brother Tom again. Someday I'll see my dad again. And we'll never have to say goodbye ever again because we have hope. And that hope is the anchor of our souls. And why? Because he is risen. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.